Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Imposter, the podcast dedicated to making science more fun and engaging for you, the audience. Alright, so as always, I am your host Amir Fogel and today's episode we've done things a little bit differently. You see, we went on a few too many tangents and talked about a few too many subjects and unfortunately, or really not unfortunately actually, the episode just went on longer than expected. So, in order to avoid people saying that they lost interest or were zoning out or it just was too long for them, I, I went the King Salmon route and I cut this baby in half. And so, this week's episode, we will have the first part of the interview with Dean McEwen and Hannah Lowey all about kelp and superheroes and commoners and all this fun stuff. And I gotta say... Really, it is so fascinating. You might remember Dean. He came on the podcast a few episodes ago talking about kelp. And again, this episode, we kind of continue that conversation. But it is truly fascinating and also really hilarious. You might be wondering, how can an episode about kelp be both stimulating and hilarious? Well, you're going to find out. Just stay tuned. Next week, you will hear the continuation, but we go on to a much different subject. I asked Dean a question that he just will blow your mind with, but I'm not going to give you anything else. You'll just have to listen up next week. So, without further ado, and so I can catch my breath, let's start this episode, because I know you're all dying to find out the mysteries of kelp. We live in an age based on science and technology with formidable technological powers. And if we don't understand it, by we I mean the general public, if it's something that, oh, I'm not good at that, I don't know anything about it, then who is making all the decisions about science and technology that uh, are going to determine what kind of future our children live in? We've really got to start at the earliest levels with having a broader view of what education really can and should be. Because I find that with the young people we have, we are able to motivate them. Science is all around us. It's in us. The knowledge of science is power. It gives you an understanding of the forces of nature. It's not even about how much science you know. It's about how science literature are. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast episode of The Imposter. I am joined here today by some lovely individuals. The first and most important one is Dean McEwen, Emrez, PhD candidate, all-around beauty queen, drama queen, sexy man, winner of the year, two years in a row, 2014 and 2016. I don't know what happened in 2015. You need to... I let myself go that year. You did, yeah. It was like some John Travolta, Kevin Costner <laughs> stuff. No, Michael Keaton, that's what I meant. The point is, Dean, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, and we also have our lovely <laughs> commoner. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. The, the, no, all in jest. The lovely and voluptuous Hannah Lowey. And Hannah will be... Uh, Chiming in from time to time, perhaps asking questions that 
someone without a marine biology background might ask questions about. Yeah, I'm the non-scientist voice. So, for those of you that haven't listened to the episode that Dean was on not too long ago, it was a great one, and I'm not going to tell you anything else about it because you should go back and listen to it, but I will tell you actually. So, Dean, let's just briefly give the folks at home a little, little refresher about who you are, who your secret identity is, and then what you do. So I'm a PhD student, Get and it. I'm attempting to describe uh, unknown viruses that infect the giant seaweed group known as kelp. Very good. And I don't want to out you, but I will. You shouldn't. I'm sorry. Uh, do you have a mild manner ego yeah. as Dean McEwen. Uh, on Saturday nights and sometimes during the weekdays, mm -hmm. you transform I, into... I fashion a mask mm -hmm. made of kelp mm -hmm. to drape over my face <laughs> with some eye holes. <laughs> and uh, it's better than like, you know, glasses, like... That's Superman puts on glasses. That's his disguise. <laughs> but this is my disguise while I'm in superhero mode. So do you have to constantly make sure that your kelp mask is wet? So yeah, that it doesn't yeah. I have crisp. to run to this chore every like 30 minutes and dip it in the sea. And, and also all, all the kelp that's wrapped around my body. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely naked, but I've got kelp wrapped around my legs and my crotch and my torso. A bit more on the crotch, torso. Right? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Is there a particular type of kelp? Or? Yeah, like uh, sugar kelp around my, around my waist. Is and sugar kelp a real kelp? Yeah. It's How called... How would it dissolve? It's, <laughs> Do horses like sugar kelp? It's called sugar kelp because when they dry it out, it forms crystals of poly, like polysaccharides on it. Oh. So it's not really sugar, but it looks like sugar. Interesting. It's also maybe probably salt as well. <laughs> and I'm sure it doesn't taste like sugar. It is sweet. It's more sweet than other kelps, than the non-sugar kelps. And for that reason, I like, you know, I actually eat my own costume. <laughs> I take a bite every now and again. It fuels my good deeds. <laughs> That's, I think, one of the best lines I've ever heard. <laughs> and, and also helps with my theory. And it's not a real theory. It's a thought, rather. Mm. But if I was a gingerbread man, would I eat myself? You would. I would. If you're a kelp man, you would eat the kelp. And it would grow back. No, you... As a gingerbread man. Oh, as a Would you, though? That's a lot know. of energy to expend. Because in Shrek, the gingerbread man, he <laughs> my, loses his my. legs and he just sews on another one, other legs with icing. You know what? I guess there's no. You don't need to look for a proper donor if you're gingerbread. Any gingerbread yeah, will do. They have a universal um, tissue type with gingerbread. Uh, but what if you're doing like gluten free ginger or like oh, yeah. whole wheat gingerbread? Organic. Like, organic. Yeah, you probably can't mix them. Different kinds of ginger. <laughs> yeah. Right, so uh, aside from working on your PhD, uh -huh. looking at the viruses, which was an extension of your master's yep. research project, yep. um, and aside from being kelp man yep. occasionally, for all villains and arch nemeses mm. of kelp man, you know, yeah. don't listen to this episode, because 
The urchin, urchin baron. <laughs> Word out to the urchin baron. I'm, <laughs> I'm coming for you. Me, is... me and the urchin baron. So really, you guys are just. He has a YouTube channel. He goes up. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna munch you down. Is it? I'm like... gonna munch you down, cat man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to munch you hard. I say, sir, I'm going to produce more <laughs> kelp than you could ever munch down and provide a stable foundation mm. for this ecosystem. I'm going to be one of the fastest growing yeah. and rebounding organisms on Earth. Yeah, that's right. There I'm going to make too many gametophytes that you just won't be able to do anything about it. Slam! Slam! It's um, what's it? It's a baby kelp, basically. So you've got like a big phase. So there's a big uh, life cycle stage, which is the sporophyte, which is like can be some species are like 30 meters long. But they all release spores, which grow into tiny filamentous gametophytes, which you can't see. And then they release the eggs and sperm, which become the sporophyte again. So they live like a double life. They alternate between being massive and being really, really small. There you go. Did you? So that's crazy. Yeah, it, it is. is it's really weird. And they all do it. So once they've grown big, mm. they then go small to then release the spores for the next generation. Yeah. Do they then go back to being big? Can they yeah. like decide to rejoin the party? Or <laughs> is that it for them? Can they rejoin the party? Well, the big one, like, it keeps going. So... The, the big spore fights, some of them can live like 15 years wow. as long as they don't get eaten by an urchin or just swept away. <laughs> that was <a> <laughs> the urchin baron the strikes urchin again. Baron. <laughs> God damn urchin baron. So they'll keep producing gametophytes like continuously, and the gametophytes can also um, live quite long. They live a few months and keep releasing eggs and sperm and make lots of spore fights. But they do this because there's such a big, you know, most of the spores, most of the eggs and sperm won't succeed. So if you look at the life cycle, um, there's sorts of pressures at each stage. Like you've got grazing and light and all these different interactions that it has to overcome to complete the life cycle. So in a way, I guess it's a bit potentially fragile, especially with climate change and viruses and speaking i mean you're you're basically just exhuming knowledge on kelp and it's very impressive and very very interesting did you know when De when little dean was six years old was mm -hmm. he like i want to grow up and i want to be a kelp kelp researcher well except in a small irish falsetto accent. no mm, no but when i was seven you know when the accident happened <laughs> <laughs> i was bit by radioactive kelp yeah <laughs> I mean, I was, I happened to be dandering through a marine biology lab and they'd been doing some pretty unethical work with uh, kelp. They'd created kelp strains that could, you know, wrestle people to the ground and inflict injury on them. Terrible. And one Terrible. just, it managed to nip me with its uh, hold fast. It, and did it hold fast? It did. That's actually, that'd be a good superhero name, wouldn't it? Kelp man. Might change it to hold fast. Hold fast. Kelp man. And kelp boy. Hold fast and kelp hold boy. Hold fast and kelp boy. You know, I ended up with kelp superpowers. So I thought I might as well try and get into marine biology and <laughs> study kelp. I think that's generally the path that most marine biologists. Yeah. You know the reasons why they get into it. Yeah. I mean, you got 
you had to run in with some sort of enhanced shark, right? Mm. It's, it's funny you mention that. It was the exact same one from the film Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> um, and you'll notice, you'll notice that there's a deleted scene after, spoiler alert, Samuel Jackson gets eaten. And kind of like that Family Guy episode where Chris gets a giant zit that talks to him. Um, I was that zit and just... You were the zit. I was the zit, and I once Samuel Jackson was eaten, I was then able to have a body. So you were on the shark as a zit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was. Uh, yeah. I was a little denticle zit. And then you just burst free. Well, that's also you know kind of a claim to fame to me because I am part Samuel L. Jackson. So yeah, I was gonna ask. So you've got Samuel L. Jackson pars as well. Oh yeah. I guess that's why I'm the commoner then. No, no, um, no special powers. That's a bit. Sad. It'll happen one day. But you know what? The commoner is a good is a good either villain or a superhero name. Oh, definitely villain. The commoner. Because yeah. I think I've got a chip on my shoulder about the fact that I'm yet to receive my radioactive powers. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm really, really secretly clever, and I'm yet to unleash that. Like a Lex Luthor type thing. Yeah. I don't Maybe know. Have the financial backing though. Maybe you were just bit by a radioactive commoner. <laughs> That just keeps you average. <laughs> That's your power. Oh you can never excel. Never too high, never too low. But then, yeah, that would give you like a complex and then you become a villain, wouldn't you? Yeah. I'll show you I'll become... The most average Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're, we're getting a bit off topic here. Um, but you also neglected to answer my initial question was, how did you get interested in... Cal did you know... I think this he, is, he answered that quite clearly, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's an obvious... <laughs> Before the accident, yeah. clearly. But was it marine biology? Was it being being on an island nation? I this remember... This is a fairly specific well, I remember field. when I was in, like, high, high school to you, Amir, but um, secondary school to normal people. I remember in chemistry class, I saw a poster that was up of... Uh, there was someone like frolicking with a dolphin and I was like, why not do marine biology? And I looked at that and went, you probably didn't even get paid to do that. That's not <laughs> You <thing>. don't. <laughs> so it wasn't like I always had a dream to do it. I kind of never thought about it until mm. like maybe a year before choosing a uni. And I was like, oh, marine biology takes all the boxes. I was like, I want to do outdoor things, but also do something that's biological and challenging. Mm. I mean, before that I was looking up like architecture <laughs> to be fair for those of you that don't know dean is quite the artist actually we did we talked about that in the last episode we were talking about yeah scientific um, uh, oh yeah we talked about who's the guy illustration yeah, yeah the guy that you took the class with mark dando yeah yeah that's also i mean an interesting topic in and of itself well for the various reasons briefly we'll just say and this is the one that dean brought up last time but if you're taking the time to sit down and actually draw in full detail you're less likely, it would seem, to miss those tiny details that might differentiate between species. You know, it might, it might just be that one little blotch or the thin, yeah. thin location is a centimeter to the left or, you know. It's more active than just like, you know, you put it in a machine and the machine does the test for you and then mm. that's it. I think the way Mark Dando was talking about it is a photo can be, can misrepresent something. Mm. So a photo won't pick up all the colors that are there and you you don't have every possible angle right and you can take a photo and then work with it and turn it into an illustration but right 
I think with a like a, the human brain is a really good sort of live Photoshop almost. Mm-hmm. Like it can create probably much more accurate like representations of things than if you took loads of photos and then like put them together into some sort of diagram. Yeah. It is interesting. Both is good, yeah. You use both. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think we're at a point where we'd ever abandon the illustration. The old school ways. I, I look at it as well as a crossroads between the arts and the sciences, which is very mm-hmm. important to me personally, but I know I share that view with a lot of people. And that the, the more intersections between those two, I think the better. And so even though you're doing it for the purpose of identification or, you know, for whatever, it still is art, you know? I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you come into it because you already have kind of an artistic background. Is it, Well, I might be wrong. Is that... Yeah, I've always been, always been interested in it. I mean, I got... I failed art, but... <laughs> <laughs> now, before we move on to the topic that I, I would like to discuss, I think I'm going to take advantage of you being here and your knowledge of kelp. I'd just like to know, and again, we did talk about this in the previous episode, but, you know, why not uh, Why not repeat a, a little bit? For the future, it seems like your field is going to be very, very popular. I mean, it seems to be exploding right now and just at the beginning of that explosion because, well, as I hope you'll about, about to uh, explain a little bit, but there seem to be many, many uses for kelp. Is that... Is yeah. that accurate, sir? Well, there's really old uses that we've always, humans have always been doing. We've always been eating it. One of the, the biggest upcoming ones is producing fuel from kelp. Right. That'd be, that'd be the biofuel. Biofuel, yeah. So the reason people are looking at this is because it's renewable. So you just keep growing kelp and you basically leave it to be decomposed by certain bacteria and it produces methane or you, it can produce ethanol, which is a really good, dense fuel. But as far as I understand, the problem with the biofuels that are made from ethanol and specifically that are sourced from mm. corn, because in the States, they've subsidized and, and encouraged a lot of corn growth and for farmers to kind of like stop what they're doing, just grow corn, 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 because they wanted to make ethanol so that they could make biofuel. I think this was going on before fracking was even on the table, and, you know, it was another way to reduce dependency on foreign oil. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're showing that the amount of energy it takes to produce biofuel made from the ethanol, made from corn, is actually not really, like, there's almost no point to it. Like, it just doesn't balance itself out. It's like a net... Not really a net gain. Yeah. If and I, then also the problem is it's competing with, with food production. Yeah, 100%. And it's, and it's taking up limited resources like fresh water and land. Well, and, and also the more, I mean, you might have farmers that were growing, you know, tomatoes. And, yeah. You know, all, all these various different crops that have now, because being a farmer is hard in general, and it's nothing, you don't get into it to get rich most of the time. Now you found all these farmers that are like, okay, well, we can get really, really cheap corn and get a bit extra money from the government if we, I mean, cheap seeds, if we just plant corn instead of all the other crops. So then, you know, you have a loss of other things or it's compensated by uh, importing those lost crops from other countries. 
Yeah, so which kind of probably cancels out the benefit of... Yeah. Because you're just replacing one foreign dependency with another. another. Yeah. yeah. Also, where would you grow all the kelp? Would you have to take up ocean space to grow it? Or how, if you were going to use that, if you're saying that corn takes up lots of space, mm -hmm. how would you grow kelp? Or is there just so much of it that washes onto shore you could collect it? You could, you could collect it, but um, if you're talking about feeding the Mass demand industrial for fuel, you have to start culturing the kelp. So you would just take up um, coastal waters and you grow them on ropes so you set up rows of ropes and you you grow the gametophyte up first in the lab and you seed them on the ropes and you deploy the ropes and then the sporophytes grow on the ropes and then mm. you collect you collect that in and then uh, process it into fuel and they do this most of this is already done but it's done in Asia and it's done for food so they're now investing money in seeing whether you could do the same and produce commercial quantities of biofuel. But one of the first things that has to be done is they need to breed strains of kelp that are good at producing biofuel. Mm. Oh, so, so they're different, they're different species. Yeah. That... I mean, you have to domesticate them in certain ways, just like we have with corn and all other crops. Yeah. So there are species that are domesticated, but they're domesticated to be for food. So they, they taste, they probably taste better than... They grow quickly. Yeah, they grow yeah, really yeah. quickly. So that's one of the things they're working on now. They're working on that in Europe. There's a lot of funding for that now. Would it potentially damage or change the ecosystems in the surrounding waters? Because presumably if you're only using a domesticated form of kelp, even if it's where kelp would usually grow, you're then impacting on the coastal ecosystems where you grow it. Ah, good question. Yeah. Well, one of the things that has happened is we've introduced invasive kelp to certain places. Sorry, Jim, can you, can you just repeat that question? So, oh, well, I'll, I'll repeat it. Essentially, in a nutshell, because I'm not sure if it's picking up from where you are, would kelp be, would, would the kelp that you're using, if you are going to do it on an industrial scale and you'd be planting it, is it, and correct me if I'm wrong, comment or question, ask her, but will it impact the local ecosystem? So, yeah. Um, and, and how will it, if it does, how will it impact the local ecosystem? One of the big problems is you might bring in an invasive kelp species, and that's happened. So now in lots of places around the world, you have wakame, the Japanese kelp, which has become an established member of UK coastal ecosystems, and it starts to compete with native kelp and replace them. And then certain species that are supported by certain kelp species can be lost because of that. Mm. Um, but I guess the, the way around that is to use your native kelp species, which is what they're doing. They're trying to, there's, um, I mean, in coastal temperate waters, there are kelp species everywhere. Mm. You know, there's plenty of um, native species to use instead of bringing in potentially invasive ones yeah and you can't contain them you know you ha if you're growing them in the sea they will get away oh yeah 100 percent. but well and, and just to another point that you're talking about just a little a little while ago but that the difference between growing kelp and corn for biofuels that mm. like you mentioned kelp grows a lot faster so it's not and okay and also question actually would if you were going to harvest it would you take half the stock, half the kelp stock, 
and then let the let it grow again and just use the same rope or would you replace the kelp on the rope completely i think you would bring in all the kelp but what you then do is you take their spores so they're used the spores are used to seed the next generation and the virus that we're looking at might impact spore production so that might be an important factor for you know keeping that keeping that crop cycle sustainable right now ah this is an interesting thing so when it comes to the spores and kelp in general but so when you have full-grown kelp and it dries out in the sun mm. let's say let we're talking about intertidal zones right mm. so half the day they might be completely sunbaked and then when the tide comes back in well get, kelp kelp aren't very good at dealing with that okay. they they will be found on the shore at the subtitle where they are usually not exposed to Completely, air right. some sometimes they will be like you, you can't see them like that throughout mm. the year but they're not very good at dealing with it okay they're not like the seaweeds you find the smaller seaweeds you find right. further up which can just they can literally be complete bone dry and still come back to life when yeah. the tide comes in kelp are not very good at dealing with it i guess they're more invested in being big and productive right okay well it seems like there's a lot of potential there i mean there is, but um, it'll take a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even not for the biofuel stuff, though. If you were going to mass produce it for food, even. Yeah. It's, it doesn't, they're, they're quite healthy for you. I mean, the, so for those of you listening, Dean was the person that really, really told both Hannah and myself that you could eat the kelp that you find washed ashore on the yeah. beach. Well, which we tried. And our apartment smelled like ocean. <laughs> Which is not, not the worst mm, smell. Not good ocean. You, you hung it outside. <laughs> well, well, we, we didn't have we, we Did have you collect it from the, the shore, from the shoreline? Yeah, we went yeah. to Bobby Sands. You mean it was not attached to anything? No. No. Oh, I shouldn't do that. Oh. <laughs> well, I told taste, you. I'm it didn't taste very good. Yeah. Oh, I thought it tasted all right. But you want, you want to collect it when it's attached and alive. Oh. Because it would rot. Oh well, but yeah, yeah. Maybe we didn't yeah. did look for stuff that had been sitting out there. Like yeah. it looked like whatever was out there had been there from that morning. Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> so, do you, do you, when you collect it, do you swim out and clip it, or what? I would just if there's a low enough tide, I'll just go out and um, yeah, just wait in knee deep water. Or something? Snip off the blade, leave the stem bit. Oh. And I guess you know the different. So they're all good. they're all edible. But does some taste better? Yeah, some taste better. Sugar kelp tastes better. <laughs> and then there's the ones, you know, the ones that look like hands. Yeah. They're a bit. I like them, but they're not as nice. Not <laughs> sweet. You could open up a kelp restaurant. They all have really different ways of cooking. So when I looked it up, I was like, where did I cook them? And I said, I found a website that mm. said, oh, some you need to boil for like two hours, but some you need to cook really quickly, otherwise they'll taste disgusting. Have you found that, or was that just a random website? I don't know. I just I've done the same thing with all of them, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not very uh, what's the word critical of it. I'm just like, yep, yeah. <laughs> I can eat this. <laughs> well, and how do you eat it? What kind of dishes do you make with it? I just sort of use it like another vegetable, like spinach, or just I just chop it up, steam it, chop it up, mm. throw it in there. 
Sounds easy. It's no. like a nice savory. It's like a nice savory addition to things. Yeah. You make soup. You use thickened soups as well. Yeah, because it's they, got that jelly consistency. They put that in yeah. stuff. You know, the alginates from kelp. They mm. put in every you know food to to thicken it up. Yeah, it's very common in like Japanese cooking. You'll cook it in the water and then take it out. Yeah, you make miso soup. Miso soup. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. The point of me asking that in the first place was that. You once we had started, once Hannah and I had started eating kelp, mm. you you then said, make sure you don't eat too much. Yeah, don't eat too much because it's filled with iodine. Like, is that what you said? Yeah, it's a, a lot of a lot of iodine. Uh, the amount of iodine in it is phenomenal. It accumulates more iodine than like anything else. <laughs> really? Yeah, it accumulates it from the seawater and then it releases it in a different form, which then goes into the atmosphere. But um, there's millions of people. I think it's like hundreds of millions of people worldwide that have goiter, which is iodine deficiency. So when you have that, your thyroid swells up and oh God. You, your metabolism just stops functioning. And um, the solution to that is to take iodine pills, which are usually, I think that a lot of the iodine is sourced from kelp. Huh. But eating kelp itself would would do that. Eating small amounts of kelp would be good for your thyroid. Huh. But obviously, if you have the opposite, if you have hyperthyroidism, which yeah, is you where, probably don't want. Yeah, to you eat don't want to take in all. But that's probably rare. Well, I I, I think that not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> once you're done with the PhD, you can start a charity. But it's these inland. I think it's like really inland places. Where right, the soil has less iodine, so the hmm. certain crops have less iodine. That's interesting. It's not a problem for like places like the UK because we put iodine in salt, yeah. table salt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone has enough. Iodine salt. Yeah. But I bet a lot of people don't get a lot. So like a little bit of kelp is um, it's like a good supplement, I think. Interesting. Now, do you want to follow on with the kelp viruses? Because it seems like it's a very interesting topic and there is quite a lot that's just not known. Yeah. What you're doing now hasn't been seen. Yeah. What's your PhD title? What are you actually studying? The title was Viruses and Kelp. <laughs> nice and deep. Yeah. Deep. But the, 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 viruses and Kelp, A New Era in Seaweed Biology. <laughs> Ridiculous title. <laughs> that's not that bad. It gets, Change it, the world. I mean, it, it leaves you with exactly the knowledge of what you're doing mm -hmm. and gives you hope for the future. Well, if it turns out to be an important and interesting virus, then I would definitely like to keep pursuing it beyond PhD work. Would you synthesize it and make it transferable to humans and use that and turn into, turn, turn Kelp Man? Enhanced Kelp Man. Into a villain. Certainly. <laughs> I don't know, it'd be kind of cool. You could like swing from place to place. Like, whoosh, and be hold fast. Yeah, walk up buildings. Yeah. With, uh, hold fast. You should drop everything you're doing and just do that. In fact, you know what? I think I will. When you have to defend your dissertation and they start asking you questions, you'd be like, mm -hmm. I'd be like, what did you just ask? And repeat it. And then my like kelp tendril would just grab their throat and I'd hold them up in there and be like, what did you ask? <laughs> like, nothing. 
Nothing. Do you know when you go up for your defense in a few years, I'm going to send them this clip. Oh, my God. But before, like the day before. Don't V for that man. He's dangerous. <laughs> Wait. Don't go in that room. <laughs> oh, my word. There could be like a reversal where Urchin Baron has to become the good guy <laughs> and has to munch down my army of malicious kelp. I know you guys signed it, but I feel like you might be veering towards the profession in comics. Oh, I, I would be down for that. You've got the illustration skills, it would appear. Theme, so. I'm just it. here for the ride, frankly. You do People all like it. People like superheroes. For yeah, some but reason. could we? Ah, here's the thing. In, was it the early 70s or late 60s when Spider Man? I think it was 72, maybe. Well, regardless. People, I remember um, watching an interview and they were saying like, you know, no one, no one at the thought of a superhero that was a spider, no one would be interested. Like, <laughs> if you just said that right now, yeah. like, people would be like, I'm sorry, what? Like, even Ant-Man, people are just kind of like, um, right. Yeah. But if you really dig deep into it, like, yeah, that makes complete sense. And it's very successful. So who knows? Maybe. And so many marine organisms are, you know, amazing. And they you just are. turn them, just give their power, their powers to a human. You've probably got a pretty original superhero. You know, I gotta say, both <laughs> both the DC and the Marvel universes have the land, the city of Atlantis in their universe, in their comic universe. Oh. And yet, the only thing that I can tell from it is that people from the city of Atlantis just have super strength and can talk to you know marine. That's organisms. so lame. But it's like. <laughs> How come that is what their superpowers are when on the land you have like vulture and all, all these all these animals, superhero villains and that's SpongeBob, they've already done that. Oh, oh they yeah, they actually have, yeah. Yeah. Mermaid Man and, and Barnacle, Barnacle Boy. Boy. They're hilarious. Sorry, sweetie. Yes. Aww. That's already been done. Eva. But like <laughs> I do love that. But why don't why don't like any of the underwater super I mean underwater towns and cities have like fish and shark fish and lady. octopus and I tell you why lionfish lady yeah, yeah. badass have, like crazy ass spiky hair with poison in it I've been made she's like one people with it hair will come at you <laughs> ah swollen finger again damn you <laughs> lionfish lady she's, if she stings you enough though you will succumb slowly to death it, it really hurts a lot right now yeah. at this exact she's, moment she's in a place she shouldn't be because of increasing water temperatures plus they're kind of hard to kill they are hard to kill they're also um awesome at eating things really quickly i'm actually already really good at that she just went up, 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 up. my god you're already lionfish lady okay. But if you if you watch them feed, you can see why they're a problem. They're just like yeah. gulp 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 gulp. It's amazing. There's no chewing. There's no. Yeah. Bop bop bop. Someone stop that's her. <laughs> Could you imagine also if you ate something and that's the sound of meat? Bop 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 bop. bop. This burger looks delicious. Bop bop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be like an audio comic, I think. <laughs> we can well, do that. There's a little button sound inside. Yeah. There's a little moving sound. You know how those books as a kid? Oh, yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Or. Yeah, yeah. The lionfish girl says, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be like, kind of like an acapella, like comic. Like, oh no. Come, she's eating people. Bob, Bob, Bob. Stop her, kelp man. 
Does <laughs> that count me in sound? Yes. <laughs> sounds, that sounds... That's the sound of a, of kelp moving through the air very quickly. <laughs> you know, that's something that no one on Earth has heard. Nope. Ever. Well, I have. Through the air? Yeah. Not through the water? It actually doesn't make that sound. It, doesn't, it kind of makes like a faint sound and then a big like wet slap when it lands. <laughs> Sounds like... Yeah. yeah. Mm. I, won't, I won't tell you what that sounds like. Uh, we'll, we'll we, know, PG. we know what that sounds like. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear is right past the mirror. <laughs> anyway, so don't forget, this was just part one of this episode. Part two will air next Thursday at 2 p.m., Greenwich Mean Time. So stay tuned because we talk about some very interesting topics and tangents, and, you know, you're not going to want to miss it, frankly. That's my own personal bias opinion, but there you go. There you have it. Now, as usual, we would be always very appreciative and indebted if you liked and share us on Facebook. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell people you know that would just love this uh, podcast series because there are people out there that, you know, are missing out, and I just feel bad for them. Last but not least, you can subscribe to us on iTunes on the iTunes Music Store keyword, The Imposter Podcast. And finally, last but not least, I promise we're almost done. We are going to be putting up little clips of Dean, Hannah, and myself going to rock pools during low tide and having Dean explain little tidbits of information about the kelp living in those rock pools. So over the next two weeks, as part one and part two of this episode airs, stay tuned to the Facebook page to get some visual learning. All right, everybody, that is our show for today. We will see you next week. But until then, you have a great weekend, hopefully a good Monday, and, you know, I know that Thursday's 2 p.m. imposter is the highlight of your week, so try and survive until next Thursday. Cool? Cool, cool, cool? All right, let's fade this music out and end the show. Toodaloo.